Welcome to Season 2 of First Chapter Wednesdays with Miss J. This week, our focus is on historical fiction. And in today's episode, we'll be reading from The Mostly True Adventures of Homer P. Figg, a Newbery Honor book by Rob Wadman Philbrick. This book is dedicated to anyone who ever lied and found their way back to the truth. Chapter 1. The Meanest Man in Maine My name is Homer P. Fig, and these are my true adventures. I mean to write them down, everyone, including all the heroes and cowards and the saints and the scalawags and them stained with the blood of innocence and them touched by glory and them that was lifted into heaven and them that went to the other place. I say my true adventures because I told a fib to a writer once who went and put it in the newspapers about me and my big brother Harold winning the battle at Gettysburg and how we shot each other dead but lived to tell the tale. That's partly true about winning the battle, but most ways it's a lie. Telling the truth don't always come easy to me, but I will try, even if old truth ain't nearly as useful as a fib sometimes. The P stands for Pierce which I got from our mother, Abigail Pierce Fig, that perished fever and left me and Harold under the care of her late sister's husband, Squinton Leach. Our father, Henry Fig, died of a felled tree before I came into this world, and when mother passed away, our fortunes went from bad to worse, because Squinton Leach was the meanest man in the entire state of Maine. I tell a lie, there was a meaner man in Bangor once that poisoned cats for fun, but old Squint was the hardest man in Somerset County. A man so mean, he squeezed the good out of the Holy Bible and beat us with it and swore that God himself had inflicted me and Harold on him like he was Job and we was bulls and pestilence. Squinton Leach, just writing down his name, gives me the shivers. Our mother was a kindly schoolmarm and taught us to speak properly, so I can't tell you exactly what I think of Squinton Leach, but it approximates what I think about a rabid skunk or scabs on my backside or a bad toothache. Me and Harold tried not to take it personal because Squint hated everything. We just happened to be included as he'd got stuck with us. Once I made a list of all the things Squint can't abide. Things Uncle hates. Number one, hates the land he works because it's full of flinty rocks that dull his plow. Number two, hates Bob the horse that pulls the plow because it cost him hay. Number three, hates his two cows, Bess and Floss, because they never give enough milk. Number four, Hates his house because the roof leaks. Number five, hates his barn because me and Harold live there. Number six, hates women because they died and left him two boys to raise. Number seven, hates Southerners because they own slaves. Number eight, hates Negroes because they complain about being enslaved. Number nine, hates Senator Douglas because Douglas is short. Number 10, hates President Lincoln because Lincoln is tall. Number 11, hates the sky, because it didn't matter if the sky is sunny and blue, it's bound to rain someday. And then I ran out of paper. Parson Reed of the Pine Swamp Congregational Church once said that Squinton Leach was aggrieved of life, but I think he just flat out enjoyed being hateful. Enjoyed it the way some men take to whiskey or rum. Old Squint got so much pleasure from meanness that he just kept on being mean no matter what. And the worst of his cruelty got aimed at my brother Harold, who was always sticking up for me and getting stuck himself. That's how it all started, our true adventures, with Harold sticking up for me. One day I'm feeding the hogs and Squint catches me chewing on a scrap of stale bread he throwed in with the slops. That's intended for the hogs, he says, not for the likes of you. 
I kept on eating, wanting to get as much of it down as possible, expecting to get pummeled and maybe get kicked some too if he was in the mood. But when Squint raises his fist to strike me, Harold catches him by the wrist. The boy's hungry, Uncle. Truth is, we're both half starving. You feed them hogs better than you feed us. Squint's face swells up red and bloated. He curses and makes to hit both of us, but he can't get free of Harold, who is scrawny but strong. Finally, Squint trips over his own two feet and ends up face down in the hog pen, covered with mud and worse. That's when he gets really mad. Me and Harold don't wait around to see what happens next. We hightailed it into the barn and bolted the door from the inside. Through the cracks, we watch as old Squint drags himself up from the mud and staggers into the house. Inside the house is where he keeps the guns. He means to shoot us dead, I decided. Harold shakes his head. Uncle needs us to work the farm. Wound us then. Whatever he aims to do, I'll stop him, Harold says, real firm and certain. Like he's discovered something about Squint and will use it to keep us safe. Like he's finally grown up enough to throw the old man down in the mud if need be. We wait inside the barn, studying the house until we spy Squint slinking out the side door. Sure enough, he's got his old flintlock squirrel rifle, rifle, but much to my surprise, he don't come at us with it. Instead, he marches over to the paddock. Next thing, he scrambled up on Bob the horse and off they go in a cloud of dust, or as much dust as that old horse can raise. Going to fetch the sheriff, I say. He means to hang us. Harold gives me a look. You know he hates the sheriff worse than he hates us. Well, where's he got to then? It don't feel right. Squint leaving instead of kicking the door down and whomping on us like usual. Thing of it is, I'd rather take a beating than whatever he's got in mind riding off like that. Harold sees I'm worried sick. Don't fret, little brother. I got a notion what we should do. Well, let's do it then. Anything is better than just waiting for Squint. Harold says he'll be 18 his next birthday, and the time has come for us to run away and make a life for ourselves. He says we can get hired in a logging camp and be logging men with axes and saws and such. The way Harold tells it, I can see the campfires and smell the stew bubbling in the big iron pots and hear the rumble of green giants shaking the earth as they fall. We'll ride great logs on big rivers and get paid in gold dust and beef. One day we'll own the forest itself and everything in it. That's how fine Harold makes it sound. I'm chopping down trees in my head, happy as ever I've been, when Squintin' Leach comes back with a crew of men to lynch us. It don't take them long to find us hiding in the loft. We're under that moldy old hay, holding still as rabbits when they bust down the barn door. First thing we hear is Squint yelling and cussing and demanding they find us. One of the men tells him to shut his trap. He's only a boy, Leach. How'd he whip your fat carcass, eh? Sure it wasn't a hog throwed you in the mud? A minute or so later, that same man comes up into the loft, thumping the floorboards with the tines of a pitchfork. Come on out and face the music, boys. Satter gets stabbed. On a count of one, two, at each count, he thumps the pitchfork into the floorboards, making those sharp tines ring like a saber. Swing! Swing! Working closer to where we're hiding as deliberate as an army advancing. Three. Harold gives me a nudge, and we both stand up, clotted with straws of hay. The man with the pitchfork is Cornelius Witham, that trades in jugs of whiskey and keeps a shack up in the hills. I recognized him from his voice, the way he said throwed. Corny comes around on Saturday nights, leading an old pack horse strung with clay jugs. Squint won't take anything stronger than cider, but he and Corny share a fondness for plug tobacco. 
They'll sit on the porch of an evening, spitting and bragging on what they did when they were young. Corny is what they call a prodigious liar, meaning he's got talent in that direction. And me and Harold would hide under the porch just so we could hear him lay waste to the truth. The only time I ever heard Squint laugh was when Corny told this long, complicated tale about a worm he swallowed by accident and how it came out both ends at the same time. Hello, Mr. Witham, says Harold, picking the hay out of his hair. Hello, Harold. You boys sure stirred up old Squint this time. Yes, sir, we did, says Harold. Unlike me, Harold never lied in his entire life, which makes it all the more worse what happened later when they took us out in the yard. Squint's there, of course, looking madder than a bolt of lightning, and Corny that marched us to our doom, and Mr. J.T. Marston, the county magistrate, and a skinny, hollow-eyed stranger in a blue uniform so crusted with mud he could have been rolling with the pigs like Squint. The man in the muddy blue blue uniform, he reeks of whiskey. His eyes are shifting everywhere but me and, Her- me and Harold, like he's embarrassed for us, or maybe for himself. Mostly, he studies the clay jug Corny must have given him, and seems disappointed to keep finding it empty. Harold Fig, you stand accused, roars Scrint, shaking his fist. That boy tried to murder me. Put him in irons. Oh, shut up, you old fool, says J.T. Marston, who has a way of speaking quiet but forceful. We know Mr. Marston from town because he owns most everything in Pine Swamp, including Marston's dry goods store, the Marston Borden House, and Marston's livery. Folks say he owns the law, too. That's how he got himself named magistrate. Buy land or sell it, J.T. Marston takes his fee or it won't be made legal and put down on the county maps. Anything you want done in the law or outside it, old J.T. will see to it so long as he gets his share of the proceeds. Marston has got a skinny white beard down to his waist and eyes as black as buttons. He grins at us with all of his yellow teeth, the way a dog will grin just before it bites you. And then he says, Harold Joseph Fig, you must now present yourself to the conscription of able-bodied men and take your oath according to the Enrollment Arts Act of March 3rd, 1863. Enrollment, says Harold, straightening up. But I'm not of age. I am but 17. That's a lie, roars Squint. I'll swear on the Bible the boy's 20. So sworn, says Marston with a wave of his hand, as if shooing away a troublesome fly. Sergeant, you'll now administer the oath. The stranger in the blue uniform isn't paying attention, and Marston has to speak to him sharply before he staggers over to Harold. Are you ready, son? The stranger asks. This isn't right, says Harold, looking from the stranger to the magistrate. I'm not of legal age. How can you do this, uncle? Who will take care of Homer? I'm his guardian, snarls Squint. I'll take care of the little devil, you be sure of that. The oath, Sergeant, Marson insists. When Harold shakes his head, the stranger unholsters his pistol and holds it loosely at his side. Private, you must take the oath or be shot as a deserter. What shall it be? You'd shoot a boy? Harold asks in disbelief. I am not of age and I think you know it. For the first time, the stranger looks my big brother right in the eye. I've shot many boys, he says. One more will not signify. Now raise your right hand and swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and the laws of the state of Maine and to obey your lawful superiors. Harold looks at me real sorrowful and shakes his head. I'm sorry, Homer. Squint's got me this time. I got to do as they say. My brother is made to swear on on Squint's Bible, and a moment later he's conscripted into the Union Army to serve for three years or until he's dead, whichever comes first. Go with the sergeant, Marston tells Harold, 
He'll sort you out. What about me? I pipe up. Can't I go too? Swear me in, you villains. Corny laughs. Villains, is it? It's a mighty big word for such a small boy. You get that out of one of your mama's books, did you? Don't you dare speak of our mother. Corny shakes his head and grins. Get back in the barn, son. Go hide under the hay until the war's over. I want to go with Harold. Hush now, little brother, says Harold, giving me a quick embrace. What's done is done. I'm sworn and can't go back on my oath no matter what. But I kick up a fuss and fly at squinting him with my fist. And when that doesn't work, I try to bite him like the rat he is. Cornelius, put this brat in the root cellar. Corny takes hold of me and drags me squirming to the root cellar. The last I see of Harold, the stranger in the muddy blue uniform, is marching him away barefoot with a hickory stick on his shoulder. Apparently that's how they do it when you're sold to the army for a jug of whiskey and a lie. I hope they give Harold a real rifle and a pair of boots. He'll sure need the boots to make it home. I hope you enjoyed these first chapters from The Mostly True Adventures of Homer P. Fig by Rodman Philbrick. In this award-winning page-turner, 12-year-old orphan Homer runs away from Pine Swamp, Maine to find his older brother who's been sold into the Union Army. With laugh-out-loud humor, Homer outwits and outruns a colorful assortment of Civil War-era thieves, scallywags, and spies as he makes his way south, following clues that finally lead him to Gettysburg. Even in a hail of gunfire, Homer never loses heart. But will he find his brother, or will it be too late?